Hey everybody, we are Francis, Martin, and Robert, and this is Snakes and Otters, a pointless discussion of eternal questions. Get ready, we're about to live in your head rent-free. Welcome back to Snakes and Otters. This is episode 59. I am Martin. And I'm Robert. And I'm Francis, sitting in the captain's chair once again. Boys, it's our Code of Honor episode again. Uh, we keep getting better and better every time we do these things, not to uh, completely just uh, go over the top with gushing for how well we do things around here. But you like to be see... alone with yourself, Francis? You're, you're really... Uh... <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, you're no, going to no, no, get no. your head doesn't fill out the, uh, fit out the door anymore, Mike. Uh, yeah, we don't need that. My wife is an expert at popping that head when it gets too big. She's very good at that. Uh, fortunately, well, she's in the other room. All, all wives are. <laughs> All wives this are. is true. It's it's not it's not unique to her, but she's very very efficient at it. Uh, if sure she's got the metaphorical needle, eviscerating. That's not a bad <laughs> word. Uh, when I deserve it, of course, uh, which is sometimes, you know. Yeah. So but, yes, uh, metaphorical needle into the metaphorical uh, boil that is your inflated head. That's uh, very well put, sir. I'm liking that. <laughs> Which is Code of Honor is all about great sayings. So why yes, not, you know, make that one be the turn, the tur that turn of phrase that is so good that when we when we find something that's really cool and we just kind of love it, and that's what we that's what we work with around here, and that's what we're doing this episode. Uh, yeah. Yet again, uh, you'd think we'd run out of things to say, but you know, ain't no such thing. No not, such around, not with snakes and otters. That's right. We've always got something to say. Oh, but before we get started, though. We uh, we do have a little business to do, right, Francis? I'm gonna let you take this. Oh, that's right. Yeah, we wanted we, to raise a glass to a couple we got, of folks. Which we, something that we do uh, periodically, uh, whenever the the need comes about. We actually have two this time, and it, it is not the the irony is not lost on me nor other you two as well. I'm sure that these two guys, and they happen to be both men, that we're raising a glass to are some of the greatest storytellers. Uh, in modern time periods, uh, and they've just recently passed away, both of them, uh, and uh, they're in the comic book field, which you know, hey, we're comic book guys, we love it, uh, any, anybody that has done great work there, we're going to recognize them, but two great talents, uh, and I know uh, Robert will certainly talk about them uh, as much as I will, but I'll give you the first one, I'll, I'll go ahead and lay, lay them both out, and we'll just kind of talk about it for just a second as we raise our glasses, one of which is the great writer Denny O'Neill uh, from, from DC Comics, but I think he did work elsewhere, too. Uh, did he work for Marvel? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, I I, briefly, I yes. He, he must briefly. have. Exactly. He's one, of those, he's one of the giants of the industry. He's one of the greatest writers I've ever heard, I've ever read. I truly believe that. He successfully took Batman away from the camp of the late 1960s and made it serious again, made it dangerous again. He took away all that silliness that was in the 50s and 60s and that the television show kind of uh, acerbated and made it really great stuff. He wrote Green Lantern, Green Arrow, uh, which were some of the cutting-edge, societally relevant uh, stories in the early 70s uh, that danced along the edge of the neutral zone in many ways, certainly with regards to the comic book code. Uh, and we cannot even begin to... to to give you a full uh, uh, CV of him because he did so many things. So much, yeah. Um, he, yeah, you're right. It's, he he made him the detective again. That's correct. Yes. And in, and in fact, one of Denny O'Neill's creations was Ra's al Ghul, who always called Bruce Wayne and Batman 
the detective. Yeah, that's you know, exactly right. Denny actually, I don't if I if I remember correctly, and if I'm wrong, listeners I'm sure will correct us, uh, if not ourselves. Uh, I want to say that this actually started this this move actually started when uh, Carmine Infantino was uh, uh, the pencil art. He was also the publisher uh, and editor uh, at various times throughout the 60s and then the 70s. And I want to say Infantino was actually the artist, um, and he might have been the the penciler before uh, Neil Adams uh, with with Denny O'Neill. Mm. But I think you have to at least on Batman, you you gotta you gotta mention uh, Carmine as well. Very much so, yeah. Is he the the great thing about him as, as a creator was that he was not afraid to tackle issues of the day. He was not afraid to make controversial decisions in his storytelling. You know, um, he. Now, I, I want to say that the, uh, the you know the famous issue of Green Lantern, Green Arrow with uh, Speedy shooting heroin up, shooting up heroin. Uh, so they did the drug story. It was actually after Marvel's drug story. It was, but yes. they were very close together. You know, it was not. Uh, 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 it was. It, it was still unique for them to even talk about such things. Oh yeah, time. to actually take a hero uh, and turn him into a junkie was. Uh, it, it was. It was beyond the pale. I mean, it kind of it pushed the envelope even further than Stan Lee did with the with the with the Spider-Man story, uh, which was right. the first was the first time. This one here went. This was in your face. Uh, well, and, he, well, and he also and had a great artist to work with. Too, but it wasn't. Uh, it was. A, it was a supporting character. That's great. right. It was this supporting first. character too. But he's like you say. He's one of the heroes. That's right. Yeah. Heroes. Not the, not just the friend of the hero, but right. one of the hero characters. Yeah. Falling, was, off, falling off the the straight path there. That's right. And uh, he introduced, in many respects, the nuance and complexity that he introduced into comic storytelling has stayed with us ever since because people realized we can write good stuff. We really can. It, this is not for kids stuff anymore. We're really writing some deep stuff. One of my very favorite series that he did in the 80s was The Question, which took the yes. old Charlton, Charlton hero that uh, Steve Ditko created in the 70s and brought when DC bought the characters, uh, when Charlton, Charlton imploded. Uh, he and Dennis Cowan uh, did some amazingly serious, deep, dark, realistic stuff. Uh, on the uh, on like fifty so episodes issues and wow uh, that's that's just my memory of Denny O'Neill but he did so many things I mean he was Justice League writer of course he was Batman he worked with just about every artist that you can think of Neil Adams in particular was one of his great strong collaborators we've lost a giant folks oh, absolutely. I mean uh, if, if you wanted to if you wanted to, he's he's top five uh, of those great names uh, when you look you know, at uh, his corpus of work it, it is uh, it's breathtaking in its um, scope and the, the, the number of characters he worked on. You know, at Marvel, he's probably best known for uh, Iron Man and Daredevil. Uh, maybe not best known, that's maybe that's not the best way to put it, but those are notable because he did the same thing or a similar thing that he did at DC, and that is, you know, Marvel was the first to give char- the, the heroes flaws. Um, and, you know, they fought, they argued, uh, they had bad tempers. But Denny O'Neill was really good at um, exploiting that. Now, Iron Man, he, he, uh, he kind of revisited an old flaw because uh, he returned uh, Tony Stark to alcoholism so bad that he became a, a bum, a homeless bum uh, for a yeah. while. 
and that's when uh, Rhodey became Iron Man. That's uh, right. I'd forgotten he did that. He was the villain in yeah. yeah, and the villain in the original Iron Man movie was created by Denny O'Neill. That's Obadiah right, Obadiah Stane. That's right, exactly. Uh, that Jeff was, that uh, Jeff Bridges played so amazingly. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, that that was that was a Denny O'Neill creation. See, we, we can't even begin to scratch the surface on all the great things that he did. Uh, uh, he man, we we miss him. Uh, and he had been he had been in many respects one of those ambassadors for the medium for a long time. He was one of the revered grandfathers who was still active. I mean, he was still writing stuff as much as he wanted to. Uh, I don't know that he ever really retired uh, because he, he he just was so. Uh, Fertile of a mind, so fecund, if we can use that yeah. word. Uh, so, and who was your other creator there? That's correct. I, 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 again, Denny O'Neill is so big. I didn't mean to go off and leave this next guy because he is so incredible as an artist. Joe Sinnott, uh, and mm. Robert can probably talk as much about him or more than I can. He was the house look for Marvel there for a while. Uh, his, his, he was an inker. He was such a clean, beautiful inker, though. He, my favorite. Uh, work of his, and this is probably everybody that knew him, were was on the, was on the Fantastic Four. He inked from like issue forty uh, in the mid sixties right up until well uh, the early eighties. I mean, it's what sixteen, seventeen until years. John Byrne took over. Until from, John Byrne took over to start inking his own stuff. Right. Like he did uh, something like two hundred issues, give or take a little, a little under two hundred. I know, which is I mean, think about that. That's well, that's actually, you know what I say that he did more than two hundred. Because after Byrne left, uh, at some point he returned to the title uh, in the 300s uh, of the the book. He, he, in many respects, the look—if if you follow comic books at all—the uh, look of the Fantastic Four is more him than anything because he was able to synchronize various artists. His inking Kirby is still the best. He's still, I think, the best Kirby inker that you that I've ever seen. Now that's an arguable point, I know. Uh, Kirby inking himself was pretty damned awesome too. But, he didn't do it very often, though. But that's right. I mean, it's only when he went and did. You know, he he would always have somebody that w- that would do that with him. But wow, Joe Sinnott was just an amazing. I have on my wall here in my office a poster of the Fantastic Four uh, signed by Joe Sinnott. Uh, it's not his actual signature. It's one of those posters you buy with his signature. But nevertheless. He was a giant. He really was too. And we got a twofer for these guys. Yeah. Both of them just passed within the last few weeks. So we got to raise a glass. And I'm and I'm bringing out the good stuff for these guys. I've got my my Knob Creek again, which is you know the the super premium. Excellent. These Thank guys you. deserve that for sure. What have you got, uh, Robert? Uh, I'm uh, dipping into the Makers 46 tonight. Good stuff, good stuff. I am, of course, still sticking with the Larceny for right now. We have got to get together in person because we have to finish that bottle for you. You've, you've been no, using no, it for no, a long period of time. When we get time. together in person, that's true. We, are, that's true. we are cracking that bullet. The bullet, that's correct. I mean, that's, you're right. We do have to do that. Uh, so, maybe we'll just drink both. <laughs> yes, we will. We will. Uh, I, I don't care right. if they're both open, but I'm saving that's, that one to crack uh, with Mar- uh, Francis and uh, Robert. So here's exactly. to Danny O'Neill and Joe Sennett. Amen. Long may they reign as kings of their particular uh, idiom, shall we say. Idiom, yes. That's right. Idiom. To quote Mont Epithen again. All right. So let's get busy. Let's get busy on a code of honor here. Oh, Francis, yeah. what do you think? You want to go first, buddy? I'm happy to go first. I'm captaining. Might as well. I mean, uh, I, it's one that I've been wanting to do for a long time. Uh, and I say that every once in a while. 
Uh, and sometimes it just comes from wherever it's going to come from on that. Um, but I really uh, uh, want to do, go with uh, Nelson Mandela, believe it or not. Uh, probably one of his most famous quotes that I can give you. It's a fantastic quote. It's very famous. Uh, you've probably, if you look up Nelson Mandela quote, this is the one that's going to come to the top of the list. It's brief, but it's one of my favorite subjects, the subject of courage. I think that is something that we need as a society so much. And in dark times especially, there seems to be a lack of it. People seem, would rather see the, cover their own arses as it were, then actually take a stand and be courageous. And this quotation explains just exactly what courage is, and I'll give it to you right now. I don't have the year that he did this, uh, but it was after his imprisonment. It was when he was president. And it, 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 he's reflecting back on his imprisonment during, the time, during those many years. Uh, that's kind of what led him to make this quotation. And the quotation is, I learned that courage was not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. The brave man is not he who does not feel afraid, but he who conquers that fear. And I still get chills every time I read it and every time I say it out loud. Boys, what do you think? Well, you know, I think the interesting part here, too, is there's a distinction between moral courage and physical courage. And I think he's trying to encapsulate how to take a moral stand, how to have moral courage to stand against the tide. How yeah, often I think moral courage is harder, damn bugs, uh, harder to, uh, to, to express than physical courage because physical courage uh, is going to be partly uh, based in your autonomic system, in your fight or flight response. And often, uh, you know, if your life is on the line, <clears throat> that physical courage is just the unwillingness to die <laughs> or the, you know, too scared to take it. Uh, so moral courage is often, often requires uh, more thought and more deliberation. And Very much. that can sometimes be harder because, you know, if you die, you don't have to live with the consequences if it goes wrong. Uh, not that that's not a deterrent. Uh, but overall, I think uh, moral courage, that's a, that's a much tougher one to, uh, to, to express and hang on to. Are you suggesting then that courage is innate or, la or not, no. as the case may be? Uh, no, it, it's, it's, o it's only innate um, in the sense that it's one of the two primal responses that is built into us. Uh, and that is, again, fight or flight. Uh, right. Every, every animal has that. You know, if you, if, even the most docile animal, if you corner it, uh, will fight. You know, even a bunny rabbit will fight because uh, they have big, certain dusty, pointy teeth. I was expecting you to go Look there. At the Look at the bones. Look at the bones. That's right. Look at the bones. Um, to quote Steve Rogers, we can do this all day. <laughs> um, so, yes, courage is innate, uh, but as in anything, it's the potential uh, is, is 
uh, you know, at least the physical courage. But I think courage, I think, is uh, is definitely an innate trait to um, everything that has that autonomic autonomic response, that fight or flight, uh, because you know, it, it, like I said, if you're cornered, you will fight. Uh, but that's the physical. That's partially driven by the adrenaline and and you know the, the specifics specifics of the situation. Mm-hmm. Whereas the moral courage, mm, uh, it's rare that just happens like that, like fight or flight. There's no yeah. fight or flight equivalent to moral courage. I think you're exactly right. You know, it's uh, physical courage is often a uh, a response to a stimulus, and it's often a snap response. You know, if you're a decent human being, you see somebody in trouble, you you run to try to help. Right. Yeah. Um, but you're you know you're absolutely right. Moral courage takes quite a lot of consideration because uh, the consequences can be pretty devastating. Yes. Um, you know, that, and that's what I was talking about with the you know if you. With physical courage, if you fail, you may not have to live with the consequences. With moral courage, you do. Uh, you know, there's there's shame, there's uh, uh, there's being discredited, there's all kinds of personal and sometimes familial consequences, not just yeah. for you but for family, uh, for taking a moral stand and failing at that or being on the wrong side. Sometimes the moral stand you choose is the wrong side of history. And yeah, we, that's and correct. Seeing at times right now. Mm-hmm. So courage does not necessarily imply that you are correct or incorrect in your decision. It simply, oh, it, yeah, yeah it, it 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 lets you know that you are willing to stand for something. More moral courage. We'll, we'll make yeah, that. Well, even physical courage, you know, you could say it's it's not necessarily right uh, because you know you, you could have ran away and lived another day. Uh, so. But yes, it, it, it's very much so. You do not have to be right to have courage. Right. You just have to and, have conviction. Sure. And courage is not the same thing as foolhardiness here. We're making a that distinction. Is that fair enough? Because you can be foolishly courageous. And oh, that's yes. but but moral yeah. courage moral courage is something very different. Uh, I'm thinking well, here. I don't know. I think you could be foolish on moral issues. Um but that's mainly because you just haven't thought it through. Uh, and, I, and again, you see it today. You know, you, with the, the the racial unrest and the riots that we've seen, and the protests related to Black Lives Matter, we we all have seen knee-jerk reactions to these things, and people come off often as taking a moral stand, having moral courage to say all lives matter, blah blah blah, and. That's not necessarily a moral stand. It's a moral stand in the sense that, yes, that is correct, but it's missing the point. That's right. It's tone deaf. And just because um, when you say all lives matter, for instance, uh, ignoring or trying to include, yes, black lives matter, what you're doing is missing the point about we're saying black lives matter because they're not mattering all the time when they should. Correct. And to say that circumstance you're, you're saying that what your issue is not an issue. And, of course, we recognize that can't be. That's not, that's not correct here. It's interesting that you say that because uh, one of the things that we're dealing with currently uh, in the society that's related to what you're talking about is the 
uh, removal of civic uh, monuments to the Confederacy uh, all over the South, uh, which you know we've talked about before is is a, is a great thing. In fact, the day we were recording this, Stonewall Jackson's um, statue on Monument Avenue in Richmond, Virginia, is being taken down, and people are applauding this. Uh, who would have thought? Who would have thought? Uh, and so many people just didn't see it as a problem, and I think that's a failure of imagination for so many. Uh, and I'm not going to use the word woke, but there's some truth to that terminology, whereas all of a sudden we realize, yeah, that was wrong. And that kind of gets back to my point on courage is that those people – and I'm, I'm stealing from Robert E. Lee. That's famously the, how he would uh, re refer to the other side. But those people who believed in the Confederacy did so courageously but were morally not just flawed, flat-out wrong. They, were, they hitched their wagon to a cause that was reprehensible, and yet they did this by the, by the thousands, by the tens and hundreds of thousands. Is yes, vested I'm, interest something that can overpower, that can uh, smokescreen courage, or co-opt is probably the better word, uh, co-opt what well, you would otherwise be intelligent people to become, in, uh, give their lives for a cause that was ultimately bankrupt? I don't know that I would use co-opt um, because... It implies that that there's only one way that would be the correct use of courage. Not not every case is as cut and dried as that. Um, so I, I don't know. That I would say co-op because you know you can you can be courageous about things that are just as right as something else. Sure. Um, you know they just don't have the uh, quite the consequences uh, as something like the Confederacy. Now the Confederacy, you could make a uh, an intellectual argument that. Had it not been created in response to the ever-growing drive to eliminate slavery, that the philosophical underpinnings aside from that might have been a good thing. Don't know. I would prefer it not happen. Whether that you know, even if slavery were not part of the the equation there, right. I prefer much prefer it to be one united country. Right. You know, and without uh, slavery. Anyway, uh, that's been kind of one of the debates that we've had in recent years. We re might remember. Uh, the great, the great movie, one of our favorite movies, Gettysburg, uh, by Ted Turner, and there's, there's some of that language is put in there saying, you know, we should have uh, freed the slaves and then fired on Fort Sumter. Well, that's not something anybody in the Confederacy would have ever said. That's just trying to make something unpalatable, palatable enough to be shown on in a movie. And I, I don't know. There were probably some abolitionists in in the Confederacy. Probably not many. Uh, they probably went north. <laughs> but, yeah, they, they weren't they weren't tolerated well. Well, I mean yeah. the. Uh, there, there were figures uh, in the Confederacy who realized that once the North makes the war about slavery, they, their cause is then doomed. Because that's correct. It, it did become a moral blindness that allowed them to convince themselves that the war was not about slavery, even though yeah. Oh, yeah. it was obvious to everyone who thought about it. You know, the country's not fracturing over any other issue. Right, it's right. Fracturing. not fracturing over taxation of trade routes. Yes, it's, right. not, it's not fracturing Star over the, yeah. the uh, states' rights. I mean, that's, you know, that's states the rights or the, the Bank of the United States or the public credit. It's not fracturing over where canals are being built. It's fracturing because 
there is a way of life in the South that is nearly feudal in its, cons yeah. Yeah, in its yeah. construction, and the North is becoming awake to this and sees that it needs to end. That's right. And yeah. so they, they had a moral blindness that did not allow them, or that allowed them to delude themselves into, well, this is about states' rights, or this is well, yeah, because, because the North is down. You know, the very famous, uh, you know, I'm fighting because you're down here statement. Right, um, which uh, those are all euphemisms. Ultimately, yeah. you have to have euphemisms to cover doing something as heinous as human slavery. Right. And that's kind of, that's the only way that they were able to gin up enough support to actually go to war and have people die in the great big bleeding batches because of that. And that kind of makes me worry about the human race, boys, because our, if we're able to be deluded to do something so awful just because we're convinced to do so uh, through euphemism and through language and other things... Well, it's, that's not new, and it's not stopped. I mean, well, exactly my point. But that's, I mean, that's, that's been going on but, since but, the beginning. But yes, but now, now humanity has snakes and otters. That's true. Okay, so, yeah, those of us who stand out, stand up and recognize and call something what it is, and if they will only just listen to us. Yes, we're standing uh, athwart history, yelling, not just stop, but think about what you're doing. The line must be drawn here, this that's far, right. and no yeah. further. That's like a, the, that's a the, very passable, very passable Patrick Stewart imitation yeah. there, sir. That's right. As, as I always say, not only are those who forget history doomed to repeat it, those who know history are doomed to watch. Sometimes I, I do feel like we're watching and sometimes powerless, but we just have to keep taking that moral stand. Oh, that's, you're exactly right. I mean, and I, I say this all the time. If you went back in time the day before the Titanic sailed, nobody would believe you anyway. Sometimes it takes a, an enormous, terrible tragedy to awaken people who shouldn't be asleep, but yet they are. Yeah. On, on certain issues. And the Civil War is a great example. There's no way you could go back and convince anybody uh, to, to be different. Yeah, don't, yeah. Do, no. don't do this. That's Before right. Before we move on from this, one thing I want to go back to, um, and, and this is what Francis had, uh, had, had said, and we kind of glossed over it a, a little bit, kind of ran roughshod past it, but um, you had said something about does self-interest co-op courage for a bad cause or something to that effect? Yeah. And, and, and I disagreed with the co-opt part. Right. Um, but I want to I dig into a little bit about that self-interest part. Yeah. Because to me, um, we never do anything without self-interest. Right. The measure of self-interest can be very small mm -hmm. uh, to, from the avoidance of a minor irritation, uh, all the way to a massive cause to free an entire people from slavery. Um, you're, no, but no matter what, no matter what you are courageous about, or being that animal trapped in the corner, uh, you will do something out of self-interest in, in the sense you, you get something out of it, even if it's only a lack of an irritation. Um, you know, so... Self-interest, I think, is almost always going to be part of it. Uh, for instance, 
those who were in the north that wanted to free the slaves, you can say, well, there's no self-interest in there. No, there is, because their self-interest is a more it does have a moral aspect to it. Right. Moral people should not stand by while anyone is enslaved, while anyone is treated with less than the inherent dignity of being a human person that they are due. Ding, ding, ding. You're exactly right. That's right, because uh, it, the, the entire concept of live and let live is often problematic when you're faced with moral dilemmas like the question of slavery during yes. the Civil War. And live and let live works when you're trying to decide where to go to dinner. Well, that's correct. You know, or you know, th there's plenty of places for that. But when there's a there's a uh, a, high, a higher level of morality that to get back to the original quote that Mandela is talking about here that you have to be able to overcome the your fears to stand up for what is right. And in many respects, those in the North, the abolitionists who started the movement, but all those who signed on over time for that issue, uh, Lincoln being the brilliant politician that he was in the Emancipation Proclamation, brought it front and center. But it was already, it was he just, un, he took the cover off the elephant that was in the middle of the room yep. and let everybody see it. Yep. Because that's what it was. It was always that. It was nothing other than that. Everything else was always a euphemism. That. Well, yeah. and really the, the, the greatest part about doing it, granted it was kind of a half-assed proclamation because it only freed slaves in territories that the Union did not control, yeah. but it was a shot across the bow saying, we're going to do this. It was also letting those up north that didn't care whether the slaves were freed or not know that it's going to happen. When the war's over and we've won and the Union is whole, they're going to be free. That's correct. And it, it's kind of amazing to me that the South tries to sue for peace uh, right to, in early 1865, and the movie Lincoln shows this very well, with Alexander Stevens and his folks come and say, well, we're, we want to come back, let's have peace, but we're going to keep slaves. And he says, and Grant says, no, you're not. It's not about that. It that was ship uh, that, that, yeah, that ship is sailed. It's yeah. done. You the slavery will end. You can either if you want it, if you want to end it now. Well, we can talk, but we're probably going to be doing this once you surrender, and which of course is exactly what happened. Uh, actually, only within within the next six eight weeks from the time right. that that conversation yeah. took place. Yeah, right. Suing for peace came too late, and both morally and on the timeline. And to me, I was I was kind of stunned. Uh, Jackie Earl Haley, uh, who is a great actor, uh, played Alexander Stevens, and you can just see in his face the the absolute stupidity of you know it's like he's been hit upside the head with a ball peen hammer when he's told no, we're not going to let you keep your slaves, and he says but 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 in like uh, sorry, this is a war, gentlemen, and uh, it, it's over. And no, we fought this war for slavery because it was the right thing to do. And yet it's still, you know, we're still fighting parts of it even today. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think we've no. turned a corner, I hope. Well, we've still got two more quotes to go, man. I know, that's right. We got, uh, well, you're next, Martin. All right. Well, I will uh, go next. Because Robert always has to go in. Let, just remind folks, Robert's the hammer. He always he, he has he wouldn't even tell us during show prep what his quotation was going to be, because, and even though he knew what our quotations were going to be, because it's the conversation, not the quotations, that determines where we go with this, yeah. where the hammer where yeah. the hammer falls. Conversation plus bourbon equals Robert the hammer. <laughs> 
You're exactly right. That. I can't oh, argue with that. I love that. Conversation plus libation equals Robert. That's good. You're, yeah, that's right. I was going to say, sir, you're quite uh, quite eloquent this evening. I'm uh, on it tonight, yeah. You're, you are yourself are fecund in the idea <laughs> department. There's that word again. I like using that. I, I will have to remember that. Conversation plus libation. That's right. So, All right. So my quote is from Oliver Wendell Holmes, Sr. Uh, not the... Not the jurist, not the uh, uh, Supreme Court justice. That was his son. Okay. But Oliver Wendell Holmes was a prolific author and a physician in the 1800s. Uh, probably his most famous work is The Autocrat of the Breakfast Table, uh, kind of a series of essays told from sort of a Yankee, Massachusetts, New England-type perspective right. uh, of someone sitting around the breakfast table uh, pontificating a bit. Um, one of my heroes, P.J. O'Rourke, had a takeoff in one of his books uh, of the Autocrat of the Breakfast Table, and P.J.'s book was called The CEO of the Sofa. Hmm. So, But Oliver's quote is, controversy equalizes fools and wise men in the same way, and the fools know it. So that's Repeat another that. one of my... You gotta, I think that's one that bears repeating. Okay, get our minds yeah, wrapped please. around it. Controversy equalizes wise men and fools, and the fools know it. You are very deep, sir. Yes. So give us a little bit of um, where, you want, where, you, where you take meaning out of that, because I think of a bunch of different ways we could go with that, but I want to hear yes. what you're... Well, What's it's, you know, on this? It's, it's kind of that, uh, you know, when you give your kids advice, uh, you know, don't get into it with other kids because it's like wrestling with a pig. You're both just going to get muddy and the pig enjoys it. Oh, yes. That, that marvelous quotation. I love that quotation. So it's, it's very much in that vein for me of, okay, somebody said something stupid, but if I start to reply... I'm getting in the hog wallow with them, and we're just going to both end up muddy, and it's not worth it. And like I said, the fools know that part. That's how they know they can bring you down to their level. Mm -hmm. They can't so, compete with you on your level. They yes. have to bring you down to theirs, and it takes controversy, yep. among perhaps many other things, but in this case, controversy brings you down there. That's well said, sir. You're exactly right. Uh, controversy. So we can we can say then, controversy is the fool is the tool of fools. Yep. Yep. So, um, can you do you have a, a situation in mind that illustrates this? Because you know we love our real world illustrations of our quotes. Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Almost all of Twitter. <laughs> is is you know again you you gin up a controversy yeah and you try to pull people into it and the people ginning up the controversy sometimes it's you know or, or taking some small piece of something that's genuinely a, a difficult issue yeah and and ginning up a side thing of it and and they're 
they're trying to pull you in. Um, so, you know, one of my quotes in the past was that great Black Sabbath song lyric that I love so much, if you listen to Fools, the Mob Rules. I, I find these two statements, you know, bookends. Um, okay, yeah. So, you know, we're in... Uh, if you listen to Fools, the Mob Rules, well, we just had Mob Rule in the, what was it called, the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone? Or I think... going on? No, it's finally been bulldozed, I think. Okay. Um, I, the, uh, I, being on vacation this week, I've not watched any news. None Good at for all. you. Good for you. Um, but, I mean, it basically turned into Mob Rules because self-appointed security people um, you know turned into basically warlords and so all of these people that were so foolish and thought well this is going to be wonderful there's no police there's no anything there's uh, also no law yeah there's no law there's there, well you know something always walks into that vacuum that's right yeah. don't uh, be so Logan foolish is the prime example yeah and that's exactly what they had they had, you know, 12 square blocks or whatever it was in, in Seattle, Washington, in the middle of a huge major metropolitan city that was essentially Mogadishu circa 1992. Well, maybe not quite that violent, but it's the template. <laughs> it was close. It was close. There's, uh, it's starting to come out now that uh, uh, two kids in a Jeep driving around doing donuts um, were opened up on basically by the security uh, self-appointed security and basically were murdered, uh, executed uh, for doing donuts. Um, you know, and will anyone ever be prosecuted for that? Who knows? There's no evidence anymore other than right. two dead bodies in a shot-up Jeep. Um, yeah. So it, it, it's, you know, it turned into chaos because we listened to fools, you know, and and controversy drags the wise man down to the fool's level. Yeah, I think the, the thing about this quote that uh, was, uh, and, and probably for many, is going to be hard to, to really think through is this. We don't mean foolish and fools in that they're blithering idiots. Right. right. We mean that they are, uh, they have either horrible judgment or they have horrible intentions. Perhaps in both. What they are doing yeah, foolish yeah. intentions. Also, Un what's your uneducated intentions? Uneducated intentions. Un ignorant. ignorant, which is the lack of knowledge. Uh, I think what you're talking about here is very similar. Th those that would do this, the fools that you're talking about, could perhaps be best described from one of my favorite quotations from The Dark Knight. Some people, Mr. Wayne, just want to watch the world burn. Yeah. And yeah, my yeah. Michael Caine yeah. voice there, which is actually well, not too very bad. Very good, Michael Caine. Yeah. Very good, Michael Caine. That's right, uh, because it's very true. I mean, and it describes the Joker, of course, in the movie, but it's very much what you're talking about here. Fools, you know, Twitter is the same way. People, they want the reaction. That's, the, that's yeah. why they are inflammatory. It goes back to what I've said time and time again. We, a certain percentage of us, certain many of us, and in this case, the quotation would say they are fools, just want the Colosseum. They want blood. They want to see blood on the floor, and they're not satisfied unless they get it. And there is, gentlemen, there is a problem with that. 
Well, uh, we keep saying we're civilized, and yet this sort of stuff keeps going on. But, you know, part of the problem, though, I have with, um, and it's not I have a problem with the quote, but sometimes you, if you don't engage the controversy, engage the fool, the fool will gain a following. The following will grow, and the following then becomes the norm and possibly enshrined in law. So sometimes the wise have to engage the foolish. Well, yeah, and anything else would be a lack of leadership, right? Yes. And you know that's, yeah. one thing, that's one thing that we're all I – mean, that's probably one of our great, the greatest sins of all. I mean, uh, that is, is lack of leadership because there's no reason for it. That, that just proves somebody doesn't have the will and, mm -hmm. and the wisdom. You have to have both because you know, dictators have plenty of will, not much wisdom. Uh, kind of, I might be stealing from Thomas Hobbes a little bit, but I like doing that because it, it does kind of work. You know, Robert, I really like that, though. You're, you guys are right. Uh, you know, sometimes that's the path to learning. If, yeah. if, if the fool is not willing to undertake that individual journey, sometimes there has to be a teaching. And you're right, that teaching is, is leadership. Very good, yeah, it is. Very good. You don't know that you're engaging with a fool until he refuses to engage back with you. Because that's the thing about Twitter, most of the crap that goes on in almost any social media. But you're right, Twitter, I think, is the best example of it because there's no real person behind your Twitter profile like there is on Facebook. You know, you don't see who your family is. You don't see, you know, what you did last year for Christmas and, yeah. you know, uh, July it's, it's plans. It's essentially faceless. Exactly. The least yeah. humanizing platform. It is. It is. Yeah. Um, so, you know, sometimes you don't know that you're engaging a fool because the fool has not yet proved it to you. Yeah. You may suspect it. <laughs> That's right. Well, time, you're right. What happens most of the time on Twitter is nobody budges. Right. You get well. into an argument, and that argument devolves into, no, I use this word, not that word. It comes down to these small semantic nitpicks, mm -hmm. no one ever budges, no one ever acknowledges the other person's humanity. It's an outgrowth of what we have been, what we lament almost every episode that is not a history episode. And that is, once you demonize the enemy, you cannot make peace with the devil. That's right. That's, uh, that's where because we're at. Because you are tossing aside the innate dignity of the human person. Yes. We, exactly we got it. it in twice this episode now. That's right. <laughs> well, we keep coming back oh, to it inherent, because it works. Inherent dignity of the human being. Inherent rights. dignity, yeah. Um, yeah, that's a, you know, now that we've flushed that out, I, I really, really am liking that because uh, at first listen, it sounds like you're saying that the, the wise person uh, is stupid for engaging with foolish through the controversy, but that's not always the case. Sometimes you have to. Um, the the fool knows it precisely because they know they're not going to budge. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, it's it's all they can do is be foolish. Wise, Sometimes yeah. they, the they, they can't. Often thinks that they will budge. You know, they they want to talk about it. They want to discuss it, work through to, uh, if not a compromise, a common understanding. And the fool, as we're using it here, there is no such thing. Yeah. You either the wise person me, is being foolish by trying to yeah. convert the fool. Yeah, and you know, you either agree with me or, you know, screw you. You're you're not even worth talking to. Uh, 
Well, it goes back to one of it kind of goes back to one of my favorite sayings. Uh, I refuse to have a battle of wits with an unarmed person. Yes, and that's what or, we're talking about here. It is better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to open one's mouth and prove it. Prove it, it. yes, and confirm the suspicion. That's right. All right, so Robert, what have you got, man? That's right. We we have right. we have tilled the ground well, so well. I have three that really really work for what we've discussed. One directly comments on uh, Francis, and I think the other um, kind of ties in with what we were just talking about with uh, with this fool and the wise man uh, uh, mm-hmm. quote. But I'm going to have to go with the first one that came to mind. Uh, from my list, because it applies to both as opposed to being a little bit more geared towards one or the other. So this is Margaret Thatcher. So we love our Maggie quotes. Oh, yeah, we love Maggie. So, and this one is, you may have to fight a battle more than once to win it. So, <laughs> you know, that to me is uh, it's, it's just a, such an eloquent way of saying so many different things that we say all the time. Uh, things like, uh, you know, your, your quote on history, uh, uh, Martin, uh, about uh, those who are, you know, don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it, and those who do know history are doomed to watch. Uh, you know, or uh, to me, I like to say, you know, history may not repeat, but it certainly rhymes. And, yeah. uh, you know, the, but to have to fight a battle more than once to win it, that very much takes courage moral courage, not just physical, uh, to go back to the well over and over. And most often, what we're going back to the well over and over to win the fight, what we presume is the good fight, is that engaging controversy with the fool. Because like I said, my worry is that sometimes if you, because of the, the, the day and age we live in, because of technology, anybody with an internet connection can build a following. And sometimes it's going to be, wow, these are just three guys that are really fun to listen to. Sometimes it's going to be somebody who's espousing very dangerous things, uh, dangerous morally, dangerous to society, uh, just dangerous. Uh, Sometimes it's going to be something you may not think is dangerous, but the more people that follow it and latch onto that idea, it turns dangerous. And so... You got to have courage to be willing to fight that same battle over and over. Because let's face it, there are a lot of battles that we do fight over and over as a people. Oh yes. Uh, you know, starting from whether or not you're going to have slaves in the first place. Uh, you know, when the, when the Constitution was framed, that was a big debate. That almost killed the Constitution in the 1780s. A lot of people don't realize that. Now, it was not as big as it later would become, but that was also part of the controversy of the census. Mm -hmm. People say the Constitution uh, only counted uh, uh, African slaves and uh, people of color as three-fifths of a person. Well, that's true and it's not true. They weren't 60% of a person. They weren't not fully human. It was they were only going to count 60% of them for the census, for representation in Congress. Now, it's one way to express that same thing, because you're saying you're not fully a citizen of this place where you live and work. Uh, but, you know, it's that same battle has been fought. 
You know, when you get to the 1820s, you're going to fight it there. When you get to the 1840s and 1850s, you're going to fight it there until finally war erupts. You're going to fight it in Reconstruction. You're going to fight it uh, all throughout uh, the late 19th century and early 20th century. It kind of falls off the radar with World War I and the Depression and World War II. But in World War II, and you know, I think that's when it really starts coming a little bit farther because you see examples where, uh, un- you know, not since the Civil War do you see men who are black, who are African Americans, actually fighting as equals. Mm-hmm. They're still segregated uh, to a large degree. Uh, it takes a while for that to happen. But you know, you, you see the Tuskegee Airmen, uh, which is one of the great stories. Love, love of the Tuskegee Airmen. Mm-hmm. They Absolutely. are, you know. That story I could listen to all day because, you know, first thing I take out of that is, you know, just the, the, the bravery, the courage, uh, the, the, just the fantastic abilities of those men. Because I didn't realize this until I saw the movie that came out many years ago. They didn't lose anything they were escorting. They were fighter pilots. They didn't lose the bombers that they escorted. That's how good they were. There were planes that wanted to be escorted by them. You know, it says, uh, no, I don't want that squadron. I want these guys because they knew they were safer. That also is a moral stand. Uh, mm-hmm. It takes moral courage to do. Moral well, yeah. leadership. Right. Moral leadership, yeah. And, be, and because of their example. Yes, we're, we're oppressed, but we're going to set an example that we're the same, we're equal. Uh, we're right. as good a team as anybody else. Well, yeah, because and the, and they, in many respects, blaze the trail because it's not that many years later that Truman integrates the, the armed forces, which is the first moment where actual integration on a federal level happens. And it's right. only ten years, twelve years later that the Civil Rights Act is taken care of. It's it, you can see the progression of how. Society has changed. There were some holdouts, of course. Well, there are. I mean, they're relatively. I mean, they're very small, but they're very. Vocal. I know we've almost stamped it out. Uh, I know well, that it'll never completely happen, but right, because anything different, uh, you know, is always going to be difficult to accept. Yeah. And unfortunately, skin color is one of those things throughout history because it it is one of the. It's just so visual. You know, it, it's yeah. not something you can hide. And those that fear what is different have something to latch on to. And what is different that you're afraid of, uh, you know, you tend to, to dehumanize. But, you know, my point is with the, with the fighting these battles, you know, having that courage, you were still fighting those. We fought it in the 60s. We fought it in the 70s. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, all fighting the way it today. Through, and we're still yeah. fighting it today. That's right. Uh, we're fighting it the more subtle expressions of it. Right, now, I'm not yeah. saying that, you know, the killing of black men by police is a subtle expression of it. I'm talking about the things that tend to be systemic. You know, right. Uh, we're, we're rooting out the virus where it's, wherever it has been hiding out. It was obvious right. in the early days. Uh, it's less obvious now. And that doesn't mean we are less vigilant. In fact, we still work harder. You have to work harder to clear out all the corners than you do to to sweep the yes. middle of the floor. Oh my gosh, that is a great example. And I love that because I've been cleaning out my garage and my basement. <laughs> what so, an analogy, Francis. What an analogy. Well, thank you, you sir. It kinda... is so true because when you are sweeping up the garage or the, the, the basement, the corners you spend probably 25% of your time on. And well, yeah, I mean, the, of... the Civil War is when you brought in the dumpster and filled it. But we've been 
cleaning up the rest of the place ever since, and we're finally trying to get it where it looks like, oh, you know, maybe we might be getting this thing almost clean, uh, knowing it never will be completely, of course. But, so, you know, I, I'm got great hope for us as, as humans. I got a great story that uh, it kind of illustrates this. It's, uh, it's not exactly tied to my quote, but it, what you were talking about, we're taking care of the big stuff, we're now taking care of the little stuff. Mm-hmm. So there was a professor that uh, uh, he's teaching some business class. And he brings in a, a big, uh, clear container and he says, you know, is this full? You know, what can you, you know, of course, no. So he puts these, these big rocks into it and he says, is it full now? All the way to the top. Is it full now? Yes, it is. Well, then he takes gravel and he pours it in and, you know, shakes it up and the gravel settles to the bottom. And he says, is it full now? Well, about half the class says, yes, it's full now. The other half is catching on. Right. No, it's not. So then he pours sand in and fills it up, shakes it so that it is full. And he says, is it full now? Everybody says no. So he pours in water and fills in what are still gaps, mm-hmm. gaps you can't even see. Now he asks uh, the class, what, are you ta- you know, what did I just prove? What did I show you? Kid raises his hand and says, says you know, no matter how no matter how hard you try or no matter how busy you think you are or how big your list is, you can always fit something else in. And this person says, no, you have missed the point entirely. The point is you have to take care of the big things first because you fill it in with the water, a little thing, you know, that is, you know, you can't hold a piece of water, right? Right. <laughs> Not like you hold sand or, or gravel or big rocks. If you don't take care of the big stuff first, you can't make room for the little stuff that comes after. Well said, sir. And exactly that's right. exactly the kind of thing that this fighting this battle more than once is. We fought the battle the first time with freeing the slaves. That's the big rocks. You know, mm-hmm. reconstruction, you know, freeing them, giving them the vote, uh, enshrining that in the Constitution. You know, that's taking care of the next steps. And then things like integration into the armed forces, passing the Civil Rights Act, uh, all the things that follow after that, that's filling in the gaps. But it's still fighting the same battle. Still fighting the battle. Absolutely. That's right. Battle against bulls. does require courage. That's right. A brave people is willing, a courageous people is willing to turn their society upside down to do what is right. And I'd like to think that's what we've been doing. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people like to condemn the, the United States for our past. But I honestly believe, I truly believe, that throughout our history, we've been getting better and better. It's slow. It's in fits and starts. Sometimes mm-hmm. we'll take a step back before we take two steps forward. Sometimes we take two or three steps back before we can get back to where we were. But overall, our progression is forward. And it's precisely because we have the courage to fight the battle over and over, that moral courage. And, as you said, Martin, willing to engage the fool. Willing to get dirty, because sometimes you have to. Sometimes you've got to roll around in the mud with the pig, no matter how much he likes it. Because you know, eventually, that pig's going to be baking and sitting on your plate. There you go. Oh, there you go. That's, that's a, oh, God, I'm hungry too, guys. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's why the pig is so great. What mm-hmm. a great animal. It, it takes horrible things like fruit and turns it into something wonderful like bacon. Like bacon. Bacon is one of, those, one of those reasons that God shows us that he loves us. 
it's the first, it's the, the primary of the five food groups, fifth being bacon itself. Yeah. Um, you know, my favorite meme was a uh, picture of a pig says, uh, I turn garbage into bacon. What's your superpower? <laughs> yes. Like, yeah, I, I can't stop that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. All right. All right. Well, what do you think, guys? I uh, think we've wrapped that up, man. I think we have. I, I think, think man, this is one of job. our – we always do great with these episodes. Uh, this one might be one of our very, very best. I think the more we do, the better we get, as, we, you know, as we, it should we be. We covered a lot of ground. You know, we stood against the mob, but at the same time, we stood for education and enlightenment, intellectual curiosity, um, Moral certitude. Moral leadership. That's yes. right. So there, there's well, a lot know, of meat on that bone right there. Sometimes like a great big hunk of rib. Sorry, yeah. I'm, I'm starving, I, boys. <laughs> sometimes standing against the mob is the only way to ensure what, that the mob gets what they really need and want. Uh, you know, oh, now there's pro- there's profundity for you. That's With right. Despite themselves, that's right. Yeah, uh, they're ma- they're the made mob. better by the by the wisdom they don't even they, that they're resisting. Well, it's not so much that they're resisting it, but you know the mob mobs tend to run on anger. Right. And the more righteous the anger, which we are certainly seeing righteous anger, um, the harder it is uh, to sit down to to try and move forward because. Uh, you, you want to tear you want to tear everything down, and you know I still think there's a lot worth not tearing down. So, yeah, uh, amen to that. That's yeah. right. So, so, Francis, what's next? Oh, next time, you know, uh, now that we've done our pop culture, you guys know what comes next. No, that no, means we just our, did. We did say, code of honor. You're correct. Yeah. Sorry, uh, slip of the tongue there. Uh, uh, since we've done code of honor. We're going to our heroes next time. And this is one of Martin's requests, and he's going to captain this bad boy. We're going to do George Orwell, believe it or not. Uh, we're going to talk about his work. We're going to talk about the man. We're going to talk about why he's worth knowing, why he's worth understanding, and the great wisdom that his works brought forth for uh, generations to come afterwards. Don't miss it. Thanks for being with us here every week at Snakes and Otters, a pointless discussion of eternal questions. Be sure to spread the word on your social media accounts. Follow us and retweet us. We are on Instagram and on Twitter at Snakes and Otters. Let your friends know that they can find us on Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, and on YouTube. Just search Snakes and Otters Podcast to find us. And please, remember to leave us your comments and reviews. It helps people find us. And you can always send us an email at snakesandotterspodcast at gmail.com. I'm Martin. I'm Robert. And I'm Francis. Catch us next week. Same snake time, same otter channel.